I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. This week we're talking about the upcoming Microsoft Surface Duo. It's got a price, it's got a launch date, will you need it? And I talk to the category lead of Turbo at Specialized, David Alexander about the company's e-bike range. And Pocalins Rick Henderson has been testing out the new Sony WH-1000XM4 active noise cancelling headphones. How are they different from the M3s and should you consider getting a pair? But first, Dan, let's talk duo. Yes, indeed. Well, this is, this is Microsoft's sort of return to the smartphone market as such, really. Um, they don't like to call it a phone, but um, it is essentially a foldable Android-based device that can also be used as a phone. And, mm. you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a foldable, so it's got two separate screens. So it's more like um, some of the efforts we've seen from LG than um, rather than some of the efforts we've seen from Samsung and Huawei in this kind of space. Now, presumably, because it hasn't got a folding screen, that means it shouldn't be as pricey or as expensive as the Huawei or the Samsung devices. Well, you'd think that, wouldn't you? But actually, it's quite expensive. It's it's $1,399. Um, it's available in the US to start with. It's not coming to the UK as yet, as far as we know. So, you know, it, it is really in that kind of bracket that puts it sort of among the more expensive sort of uh, Galaxy Note 20 Ultra um, position and also, um, you know, in terms of in terms of single screen smartphones. And yes, I mean, slightly, yes, slightly under some of the more expensive foldables, but even so, it's still, uh, you know, quite expensive for what it is hardware wise. So this is a thing where it's a device where it's the size of a tablet that folds to the size of a phone. But it's not a phone. It's not a tablet. You've got two screens, so it's not foldable. So even if you're watching movies, you know, or doing an Excel spreadsheet, you'll have this black line down it very similar to like in my mind the kind of video walls that we used to get in the 90s in in big shops it's just made up of lots of crt tvs who is who's going to use this where's who's who's the perfect user well i guess it's it's somewhere in but you know it's someone someone that is probably a lot you know uses surface devices anyway um and you know but it's somewhere in between that and someone that would use a, a a galaxy note I mean, it's got some parallels with the launch of the Galaxy Note because I remember when we when we saw that on stage at IFA for the very first time in you know whatever it was two thousand eleven or something like that. Yeah. You know, we we felt you know this thing was massive, and also who would ever use a device like that? Well, obviously now that look, that sort of opinion looks totally foolish, but I mean it, it it's it's it, it's that kind of user that actually is is quite used to getting out a stylus and 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 doing things it, it you know but it runs standard android uh, android 10 at the moment but presumably it'd be 11 soon enough um and obviously microsoft have optimized their own apps for the dual screen and apparently it's got some intelligence built in that will um flip your apps to the appropriate half of the display or appropriate display 
So it's going to be interesting to see whether other people develop um, things for uh, things for this device. Interestingly, Microsoft did did say in its statement yesterday uh, when they launched it that um, they've been working with Google and to shape the future of Android around it as well in terms of you know we're going to probably get more devices in this kind of category so um you know the, presumably the, the the that sort of built-in intelligence as to where where to put apps and that kind of thing would be on other devices as well it's it, it you know it will be even though microsoft have been working on it it will presumably be incorporated within android i mean this to me does feel like it's an it's an ipad competitor that's yeah. mashed in with a filofax of yesteryear and a kind of the renaissance of, of trying to bring back the PDA rather than something that you'd... I, I can't see this replacing your phone. No. I mean, I, I think it's it, it seems like a companion device to me. I mean, it, it, obviously, there were... Although we've seen people making more voice calls during the pandemic and, and video calls as well, um, you know, generally the trend has been going down in terms of voice calls for some time. So I guess... There are there is a subset of users who won't, um, you know, don't don't necessarily value that voice experience anymore. But certainly, I, I think it's probably, let's say, a business. Say you might might have a, a phone for home and a phone for work. I mean, this might be your work phone, for example. So I, I you know, I, I think, I, I think there is there is definitely a subset of users that would value it, and and probably they would also be um, Microsoft three six five users as well, because obviously all those apps are integrated as well. So, um, you know that that that's I think that's where where the user base is really going to be. And could you final question? Could you see yourself using one of these as a companion device? Yeah, I think so. I was I was I was sort of thinking about that yesterday, and uh, you know, wondering about it. I think it is a bit the the, the specs the spec sheet isn't brilliant on it, um, and it, it it's sort of more twenty nineteen than twenty twenty. But you know, really, does that matter in terms of the experience? Um, one one notable thing is that it's, it's a four G device, so presumably at some stage we'll get a five G device. You know, and that may be in the the, the the near future. So I, I guess as as more of us are doing tasks that more complex tasks on our phones, and the experience with that isn't always great, this could provide a a, a route for those people that want to do more on their phones but actually find it quite difficult. Still to come, Rick gives us his verdict on the Sony WH-1000XM4 active noise cancelling headphones. There are a few new features. Multi-connection is a good one. It means that you can connect two separate Bluetooth devices at exactly the same time and easily switch between them. From a decidedly niche area of the bicycle market, e-bikes have shot to the front of the pack as we now start to look at greener, more viable ways of getting around. Whether that's because you're trying to avoid public transport, get fit, or merely do your bit for the environment, the idea that using an e-bike is cheating when it comes to cycling is long gone. I caught up with David Alexander, the head of specialised Turbo Division, which is everything e-bikes from the company, be it their road, mountain, or active bikes, to talk about the e-bike industry, how it's growing, and what's in store for the future. I started by asking David to give us a quick explainer as to what Specialized deemed an e-bike. Oh, an, inter- an industry definition. We, as the bicycle industry goes, we're very good at creating uh, definitions and then promptly going elsewhere uh, by creating something different again as well. So the, the dictionary definition, I suppose, would be that it's a, a bicycle 
in its common format that you'll still need to push the pedals. So there's no um, twist and go, if you like. It does require pedal assistance. So pedelec uh, is uh, is sometimes a term that's used. There's a there's another category of bikes called S pedelec, which I won't get into because they're a bit more powerful than um, right. you can buy in the shops easily. You can get them in this country, but they require a, a certain classification. But a typical pedelec means that you push your pedals and the motor. Uh, of any description with the uh, the power from the battery aids your assistance. So it's like all the enjoyment of riding a bicycle, but with far less effort. And what do you think has, you know, five years ago, I'm sure there were e-bikes around at the very edges of this thing, but it wasn't necessarily something that we're talking about or, or would even have you on a podcast to talk about. So what do you think has made that change in the last, even the last 12 months? Well, there's there's definitely a couple of factors. I mean, you're absolutely right. E-bikes in their you know, um, design and uh, manufacturing have been around for almost as long as the traditional bicycle. You know, if you do the research and go right the way back, they've been around for, for many, many years. But um, certainly the last five years or indeed 12 months, the main breakthrough has been partly down to scaling down and reducing the weight of key elements. So things like the motor, but more importantly, the battery. So the battery itself nowadays, uh, as you probably know with your mobile phones, your other electrical appliances in the household, uh, tend to use um, lithium ion type of batteries, which are mm. they're far more modern. They're a lot lighter weight. They have a much better um, overall lifespan, shall we say, than, than previous incarnations. I mean, if you think of the sort of thing that sits in your car, uh, a lead acid battery, very, very heavy, um, quite robust, but um, it's not just a case of scaling that down. Um, the lithium-ion technology is is a lot more advanced. It allows for uh, quite a bit more uh, manipulation of, of uh, space and size, particularly when we think about integrating it into the shape of a bicycle. You know, a car, there's lots of little nooks and crannies to hide stuff, but a bicycle is, you know, it's for want of a better term, it's, it's two wheels, a drivetrain, and, and some kind of a frame which has to hold everything. So we need to fit it all into that frame. So becoming a lot lighter has made things a lot easier for people it's made them a lot more appealing um, and certainly to your point about the last uh, 12 months or so we've seen a huge uh, increase of interest in uh, active travel so whilst we have as i said mountain bikes road bikes and, and active bikes the, the active travel piece which is a lot more of our traditional riding on the roads commuting leisure uh, pure enjoyment rather than seeing cycling as a sport um, that's where there's been a, a huge increase in interest. And of course, those are those are the types of folks who uh, they have the money. Um, the bicycles are now lighter, they're more maneuverable, they're easier to ride. And so therefore, this is this is kind of a win-win situation for the e-bike world. And so do you find across the three types of bike that you create, you know, the mountain bikes, city, you know, active bikes and, and, and presumably road bikes, mm. do you find that there's a, a popular variant of people that are thinking well i'm going to use this on the road or are there people on the mountain bikes going i want to just go up a big hill yeah i mean uh, i would say to you that the the mountain bikes is where it's it's really taken off um if you like you know the the idea of a, an electrically assisted bicycle has been massively taken under the mountain biker's wing should we say so it it was um because with the the road side of things um, if you are a road rider or you've seen the drop handlebar bikes and, and uh, ever followed any races, there's quite a lot of heritage. There's quite a lot of tradition um, going back even previous century, whereas mountain bikers have, have often been a little bit more 
pragmatic, maybe a little bit more um, uh, up for uh, rebelling. You know, the mountain bike in its in its first incarnation, as it were, back in the early seventies, was very much a, a different prospect and and pushing the uh, pushing the boundaries of what was capable for a bike to survive by taking a a touring bike or something like that or a clunker, as they used to be called, off road. So, we, mountain bikers are a little bit more open to some of these things, and now we see that the the popular situation is a mountain biker who has a group of friends, guy, girl, whoever, mixed groups gets an e-bike and all of a sudden the rest of the group see this they see how much fun enjoyment how much ease they're having because it allows the riders to do more of the fun stuff and the hills aren't always seen as as fun stuff for mountain bikers it's so uh, you know that's a bit of a broad brush whereas road riding it's often oh it's a challenge mountain biking it's kind of a means to an end and the end is the downhill it's the fun stuff it's the single track so it's been huge on the mountain biking side. Uh, road riding is a little bit, um, a little bit more recent. You know, the introduction of e-road bikes into the world. So whether it's ourselves um, with our Creo platform or whether it's other brands as well, mountain bikes and active bikes kind of came first, and the road bikes have been a, a little bit slower to the party. But now they're there. We see that as a maybe a, a slower burn, but the biggest opportunity for us as a brand and i think for a um for a cycling populace is the active uh, the active scene the active travel the the city bikes if you like i think you mentioned that term earlier commonly referred to in in bike shops as hybrids because they can do a bit of on-road and a bit of off-road yeah. there are of course multiple versions of them we have a, a range of different uh, platforms but um that's where we can see a huge amount of interest particularly with the um, the last three months, actually, with uh, needing to get out and be active, but also be um, healthy, healthy living. And, of course, the, uh, the thought that we don't really want to be jamming ourselves back onto trains and commuting in uh, in close proximity to uh, to each other. Now, if, you, if you're excited by the idea of getting an e-bike, um, have you got any tips that you think we should people go out and, you know, what, is, what should you look for in an e-bike if you're, if you're going to go and buy one? You know what? That's a, such an important question. The, the first thing that I always consider, um, and when, whenever anybody's asked me this, is really think about what you want to do with the bike, because I, as I mentioned, we've got a, a massive range: mountain, road, active, and even within those categories, there is multiple platforms. Hmm. And if you if you sort of envisage, what do I want to do with this bike? Is it a lifestyle piece? Is it a commute tool? Is it a pure enjoyment? Um, uh, sort of vehicle if you like for the for the mountain biking or the road riding etc and think what do i want to do with it okay then you go uh, go ahead and likely as not start doing your research and bicycle shops of course have a, a huge amount of knowledge or a wealth of knowledge all the all the staff in bicycle shops typically are, uh, are very well educated on the brands that they stock what type of riding the the bicycles themselves are, are most ideal for, but it's very rare um, because we speak to our stores quite regularly. It's very rare that they ever encounter customers who walk in who've got no idea what they're looking for. Uh, right. A lot of people will do a bit of research online first, and that that certainly helps. That goes a long way. And um, so, thinking about what you want to do with the bicycle is absolutely paramount because there's a lot of uh, bikes out there, a lot of different styles, and we have even within the active category two bikes that have a very similar name, for instance, the, the Vardo and the Vardo SL. 
And to the untrained eye, it might be hard to distinguish what the difference is between them, because even looking at them on paper and then images of them, they might seem quite similar. Um, but the, the specific, specific element of the SL means that it's, it's a lot lighter um, and it's ideal for those who maybe want a bit more maneuverability in and out of the traffic. Maybe they're having to contend with uh, uh, steps where they live or where they commute to, um, or indeed they simply want to have something which is a bit more svelte looking. And then the Vardo is a, is a little bit more, um, uh, it's got a larger motor, so there's less right. effort required for you uh, and a larger battery as well. So there are a few details in there, but without getting too bogged down, if you think about what kind of riding am I going to do, that will help inform you as to which direction you take when you come to your purchasing decision. Now, where do you see this going in the next couple of years is it just smaller batteries or lighter bikes you know from that perspective because it feels at the moment that to get an electric bike there is a premium to pay beyond a non-electric bike and obviously i understand that you've got more components in there but you know do you see electric bikes becoming the same price as as regular bikes you know with non-electric bikes and what where do you see the technology especially from specialized going over the next couple of years Great question. I mean, that, that forward thinking idea is, for some, it's sort of they're constantly waiting, right? And what's the next best thing? And whilst that is is fabulous, um, there is a point to, you, you've got to jump in at some stage, um, because otherwise you'll constantly be waiting. But yeah, our um, one of our mantras at Specialized has for many years been a, a term called innovate or die. And that's, it's very true of any product we make, whether it's a helmet, a shoe, an e-bike or a turbo uh, or, a, or a road bike or a mountain bike. So we're always looking to innovate. And we work, do a lot of work in-house. We work with a lot of uh, partners from a manufacturing standpoint. And when it comes to evolving what we already have, I mean, we, we made a big step forward uh, for many riders moving from uh, one type of motor system and a battery to offering two types. Now, it's not that one is necessarily better than the other, um, it's for a different type of rider. So we, we have the turbo system, we have the turbo SL system, and they fit into various different platforms. And for many riders, they need and want and enjoy the, the ease of using the bigger motor and the bigger battery. And others see the step forward as it's lighter, uh, it's more maneuverable, it's a smaller battery, um, but they want to use more of their own legs and their lung capacity. So that's a... Um, that's a difference and it's a choice that riders make but future tech yeah i mean we've we've got uh, high hopes for certain materials um that are potentially available to us we are looking at um, how lithium-ion cells the the small cells which fit inside the large battery packs of all uh, most uh, e-bikes and certainly all of our turbo bikes how they can be again if you like, there's a certain amount of space in the size of a frame so that it can fit a variety of different size riders. And there's only so many cells we can fit inside there. But if we can use a different size cell with a different capacity, then, then that might mean that we have the same frame, but we have a larger range because we've been able to fit more cells or larger cells inside the battery pack, which therefore goes inside the frame. So a lot of riders want to, want to increase their range so if we can do that for them, that's great. A lot of riders want to have lighter weights. So if we can also offer that, that's great as well. Um, they may not tandem, but I suppose if you if you think that the goal is to have something that's almost as light as a traditional bike, 
and have uh, a significant range, then that would be uh, that would be the end game. In terms of pricing, back to your back to the other part of your question, as these bicycles become more the majority, more the norm, mm. then naturally there is a there is an element of economies of scale there in in the manufacturing standpoint. I'm not sure we'd ever see them get to quite the um, the price point of non-equipped with with e systems out there so anything that doesn't have a, a motor and a battery inherently should be um, more cost effective um, but many people many riders now are seeing the benefits of it and uh, it's not just okay they cost more it's they'll cost more but it allows the rider to do a lot more we see a huge amount of people who are already riding these bikes because it's so much easier they will go out and they will do more and then we've introduced a new system, which is is lighter, and it actually encourages riders who want more of a workout to go down that road. So we're trying to cover as many bases as we can. And then, of course, there will be the purists, and that's that's cool as well. They they won't want to have any assistance. Um, so that's that's there will always be a, a I think a world where there's bicycles as well as e bicycles. But it may we may just find that e bicycles become the majority rather than at the moment the kind of the new upstart, should we say. <laughs> yeah sure and and do you ride an e-bike personally i've got both formats um so if you like i've got an e-bike and um a lot of people refer to uh the the non-assisted bikes as either normal bikes or acoustic bikes or analog bikes but yeah my uh my i have a road bike which is an e-bike so i have one of our creo sls which for me as a rider i take the route of i will turn the assistance down and make it more of a workout. So I make it harder for myself by riding the e-bike. Whereas of course the common thinking is it's it's always a lot easier, which for most folks, that's why they want to buy the e-bike. For me personally, I, I want a bit uh, a bit of a challenge. So my, my road bike has the assistance level turned down. And then my mountain bike, I can't ever see myself returning to a mountain bike that doesn't have uh, a motor and a battery in it because the, the newest format of, uh, product we've been delivering is so light that it is a, a hair's breadth away from the weight of a traditional mountain bike and so there's really no downside to it it's pure fun since sony entered the noise cancelling headphone field with the mdr 1000x in 2016 many have strived to keep up there are a handful of brands that compete in a similar price category there's some excellent alternatives out there with each version, Sony improves the offering again and again. Pocalins Rick Henderson has been using the new headphones and joins me to discuss whether they're any good and whether you should get a pair. So, Rick, what are they like? Well, I've, uh, I'm a big fan of, I must admit, of the Sony ANC headphones range um, and particularly the 1000X series. The um, the first ones really sort of like changed the game because nobody expected Sony to come into the market with such good wireless ANC headphones because Bose pretty much owned the sector. Um, but over the years, Sony has really carved a niche. And the 1000XM4s are like the, 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 the pinnacle of everything they've done so far. Um, they essentially, they add a few extra things. They look incredibly similar to last year's model, the M3s. Um, you wouldn't, if you left the two of them together on the table, you wouldn't know which one to pick up. Now, I remember they came, I think the M3s, they came in like a nice sort of, not, I'm going to say beige, and it wasn't beige, but it was kind of like a, a stone grey or something. Yeah, it, it was actually called silver, which 
it's quite weird. It didn't look <laughs> silver at all. <laughs> but the um, but the new ones also come in that color, okay. uh, exactly the same color with exactly the same gold tints and everything, right. um, or black with rose gold tints, which are the ones I actually prefer because I like the little mm. rose gold flourishes. Um, but the um, so you wouldn't tell, you couldn't tell them apart. But when you actually wear them, the new ones are much more comfortable. They have larger ear cups, uh, which actually, well, ear pads, sorry, which actually make them a hell of a lot more soft. And one of one of the problems, I mean, obviously we're not traveling anywhere at the moment. Yeah. But one of the problems I always had with um, noise cancelling headphones is that they can be restricted or, or restrictive or painful to wear over very long periods. And specifically, if you're on a long haulage flight, for example. Yeah. Um, these I couldn't see a problem now obviously I haven't tested them on a long haulage flight not likely to I don't know what's happening I mean you know (laughs) surely you're jet setting everywhere all the time these days (laughs) but um but I couldn't see a I can't see a problem with them at all they're really excellent for that there are also improvements inside and this is this is probably more important to most people um there are a few new features multi-connection is a good one it means that you can connect two separate bluetooth devices at exactly the same time and easily switch between them right um i always i always have uh, my ipad and my iphone on me and and i always say now to unconnect from one disconnect from one connect to the other but not you don't have to do that with these um also if you are connected to your ipad say and you're watching a film and you get a phone call on your iphone or, mm-hmm. or Android device, other yep. brands are available. <laughs> <laughs> um, then the um, the headphones will prioritize the call. Right. So I'll switch immediately to it, no matter which device is ringing. So I, I lo- that's a really good feature. Another really good feature is called um, uh, Speak to Chat. And that is when you're wearing the headphones, you listen to music with full active noise can- uh, adaptive noise cancelling switched on. And suddenly someone wanders over, say a flight attendant wanders over to want to speak to you. All you have to do is talk and the headphones will pause your music and um, uh, then allow ambient sound in. So you don't actually have to t- take the headphones now off or is, remove one. To, I was going to say, this talk. was previously where you tap, wouldn't you, the, yeah, the you headphone. C- well, or you, you'd, you kind of, I remember some headphones, I'm not sure whether it was the Sony's or not, where you'd actually push in a button on the side to then kind of almost give you like walkie talkie mode so to speak yes or i think um, i think previous uh, x uh, 1000x series you held your hand over the right hand ear cup or something hmm. um uh, which allowed which then turned on the ambient sound so you could hear what was going on but the speaking part of it was, was wasn't there and this is excellent i mean you know you just start talking and suddenly you can hit, you can have a conversation and then as soon as you stop talking the headphones switch back on again well, it's clever. So it's really clever. Um, and the final thing I really like as well, and this is something that Bowers and Wilkins did very successfully with its PX series of uh, ANC headphones, is that um, as soon as you take off the 1000XM4s, they, there's a sensor inside the um, ear cup that actually knows when you're wearing it and when you're not, and it will automatically pause your music. And if you leave them off for 15 minutes, then it will automatically power them down. That, that allows your 30 hours of battery to last even longer because a lot of the time people will take them off for a bit and forget that they've yeah, left. Uh, uh, yeah. Playing, so um, it's, uh, it's 
all in all, a generational upgrade that actually where there's so many different small features that make that, that, that makes sense for an upgrade. And in terms of sound, I mean, I presume they've got Sony's 360 audio, reality audio, or whatever it's called. Right? It yes, they, they're, they're, but, but, but to be honest, and this is a fallacy, actually, everything that has 360 reality audio tagged on the box um, is that any headphones are compatible with 360 mm. reality yeah, audio. Yeah. Um, however, some are sort of like better suited to it. And the Sony 1000XM4s, and I'm not sure if they've now added this to the M3s, um, through the Headphone Connect app, it scans your ears. <laughs> Genuinely, you have to take photos right. of your ears. <laughs> and it, it'll judge your um, ear shape so it can better tune the 360 audio experience to your ear. I wonder if it takes into account like hairs coming out and all the other stuff. Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I'm not entirely sure whether that. I tried it before I scanned my ear, and I tried it after I scanned my ear, and I haven't really found much of a difference in audio right. quality. I'll be, I'll be brutally honest, but it's a great feature to have. The 360 is fantastic if you've got Tidal or Amazon Music. I think has got some 360. No, Deezer it is. It's Deezer's got some 360 stuff on it. Um, it's a really excellent. Um, experience and coming to the ps5 of course um but the uh the, the last thing um and this is the only negative I've, I've found so far in the in in the tick boxes is that uh, for some reason um sony seems to have ditched aptex support right <laughs> so for lossless music it now only basically relies on its own ldac format which is a sony proprietary lossless format um now People will bemoan that. iPhone uh, users won't care because it yeah, really so actually right. yeah, because right, it doesn't have Aptex right. on any Apple device. But some Android um, device owners might actually care about that. So the, the M- M3s had Aptex. The M4s don't have Aptex. But I haven't noticed any difference in audio quality streaming uh, wirelessly. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.